Fabulous with Vips and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Vips, it's quite amazing that we have three episodes under our belt. And what we covered in the previous three episodes, for those of you that haven't been on the journey with us, is all about why we think being fabulous is so important. Now, the reason we think being fabulous is so important is, to put it simply, there are way too many executives and leaders that are not fabulous. And we're here to do our bit to create the next generation of fabulous leaders. And when you think about, well, what are they? Why is fabulous important? It's about those individuals who are here to do the greatest potential and have the will to do something purposeful in the world. So they have the potential and they have the will to do something purposeful in the world. And they want to pay that fabulousness forward in some way. And we came about this through the work of Thomas Friedman uh, with his book, Hot, Flat and Crowded, where we started to think about the impact of technology on the world and the population growth and how the world is just practically getting hotter, flatter and more crowded. And the stress it's going to create socially, economically and politically for us as a species means we need different leadership structures that are geared up for that challenge. As what success looks like now is going to be very different to what's needed in the future. So how do we create people who want to continue learning and adapting? And what are the characteristics and aptitudes that enable people to rewire quicker than those that don't? So to do that, we covered the four non-negotiables of being fabulous. And in a nutshell, they are being an effective communicator, having grit and hustle, having aligned values and ethics, and an insider mentality. All four of those are pretty deep, so I encourage you to listen to that episode to dig into that. We also dug deep into our four Ds. You can think of these as the traits of a fabulous leader, and it comes from trait theory from the seminal work by Cousy and Posner. We discussed two of the four Ds, being daring and being deliberate. And today, we're going to cover the third of the four Ds, being dynamic. And this means having a level of comfort with fluidity. So Vips, why is being dynamic so important as part of being a fabulous leader? I just got to, before we even go into that, I just want to comment on how uh, cool that was to hear you do the uh, summary that way. It was way sharper than how I always do it. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was a rare treat. So thank you for that, Vicky. Um, okay, so to answer your question, being dynamic. So the, the whole rationale behind being dynamic was this idea that some people seem to feel more comfortable with fluidity with change, with things um, never being the same, with policies and procedures changing, with expectations on what's expected of them in the working environment changing. For some reason, some people seem to be able to experience those as good and positive ways to learn new things, whereas other people tend to just freak out. And, um, you know, why is someone messing with my process, with my karma, with the way I work, with the way I think? And why this became such an important, um, why it became a D, effectively, one of the four Ds, was because um, 
if you think about it, as people go through those stages, the four stages we talk about, the journey from superstar performer to awesome manager to awesome manager, top-notch executive, fabulous leader, those are, those are points where you have to, I mean, literally rewire your brain in terms of how you think about all sorts of things, not least success. And you can't really do that if you're not prepared to be fluid and dynamic in the way that you look, your company, your work, your environment, your city, your community, your world. And so we have to train ourselves. We have to teach ourselves to almost experience everything as being constantly in motion, constantly fluid. And the more we can do that, the more it the less it hurts us when something changes that we don't expect. And then we can adapt to it much quicker. And it's really that. It's the link, it's the link to from, from being dynamic and the comfort we have with things changing to how quickly that then allows us to adapt and change to whatever happens in the world. The folks who are more dynamic will have found it much easier, for example, to get used to you know, working from home under lockdown for the last 12 weeks. Um, the ones who maybe aren't so dynamic, fluid in their mentality, you know, will have been mourning for the loss of what they had a lot more and found it much harder to adapt to the environment that we're in. So that's just using a very, you know, real world example that many of us are living through right now. Um, but uh, that's the essence of what I mean by being dynamic. It's because cognitively it allows us to adapt faster. Yeah, that's, that's powerful, Vips, especially with what we're going through right now with the pandemic. So many people are struggling with what that means to their situation practically. So I think that's a very good example. But you know, Vicky, you know, you, you say that. So it, you know, it's not just about what people are going through. Think about it. It happens at organizational levels as well. How, how many companies have we seen who are brilliant in startup phase and they do really, really well? And, you know, it's normally got this, you know, effervescent, slightly wacky, you know, founder, entrepreneur, whatever language you want to put around it. They take an organization, they get it to five, 10, 15, $20 million, or in the tech world, you take it to about $200,000 worth of revenue, but a market cap of, <laughs> of 25 million or something, right? But whatever, okay? And what happens is they get to a point where someone gives them Series C funding because, you know, everyone wants to contribute, you know, everyone wants to feel that this might be the next best thing and my way to be, you know, it could be the next Amazon or the next Google or whatever. So they throw money at it, right? We, that's what we do. Capitalism is very good at rewarding where they think money's going to be. And, and then what happens is they, they get stuck. They, they're great in startup, but they know they have to shift to scaling. So scaling from a business point of view is the same as becoming an awesome manager from a personal point of view. And, and I mean, very, very, very few companies go from startup to scaling easily because the, the, the culture, the mindset, everything you associate with what makes an organization scale tends to grate against the fluidity and dynamism that was embraced so much at startup. So, I mean, so, you know, my, my point in bringing it up was, and you have the same problem again, by the way, when companies scale and then they start becoming institutions and then, then, then they're kind of boring. They're not growing fast enough. And that creates another you know, circle of suck, but from a company point of view. So this, this concept of dynamism, you know, we talked about deliberateness being probably the hardest one to handle personally last week. I think embracing dynamism is, is probably even harder from an organizational point of view 
than it is from an individual point of view, but it's equally applicable. Mm, yeah, that's rich, Vips. And two thoughts come to mind. The, the one is, as a fabulous leader, it's really important to create motivating purpose in order to reinvent and change the world. And you can have very little impact in the world if no one's going to follow you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so dynamism is also part of the trait that you need to show. And we'll touch on introverts versus extroverts a little later in our conversation. But there's a way that you show up that others actually want to follow you. So you're able to have the impact in the world. But before we touch on that. Can, can, I, just say, can I just say it in a funny way? I mean, no one wants to follow someone who isn't going somewhere. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's that simple. And, and if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're not prepared, if you're not prepared to be, to, to embrace dynamism, fluidity, then no one's ever going to follow you, to, to your point. So, you know, it, it astonishes me um, how many people think they're being purposeful and they have a cause, but they don't, they, they see it as a static thing. They don't see it as something that's moving all the time. And uh, I, I think that's, um, how can I put it? I think the ones that see it as something fluid tend to endure. The ones that see it as something static, you know, they're kind of fads. You know, mm. that, that was great, but, you know, it's over now. And, you know, you might get lucky. You might, you might make a few million if your fad just happens to resonate and, and you get 25 million followers on Instagram or whatever. But, but it's likely to come and go. If you, if you truly embrace it through fluidity, it's likely to endure over time. Well, you have that enduring purpose that is beyond the moment. That's difficult. The other, the other idea that popped to mind as you're describing the story from startup to scaling, I went back in time to about 2004 when we were both at Quedis. And I remember the conversations uh, we were having. <laughs> when we were both young. <laughs> oh, we're still young, folks. No, I mean, like, physically young. We're still young at heart. <laughs> no, we're young physically still. Don't, don't age me, my friend. Um, <laughs> Phipps and I have this continual dialogue about what age is and when are we going to die or not die. But there we go. That's another conversation. That's not for today. <laughs> no, that's not for today. <laughs> that's definitely not about being dynamic. But do you remember that time when we were changing from a number of about 20 people and thinking about our growth journey and how traumatic it was? How would we have the same feel of startup crazy when we couldn't be in the same one or two rooms, we need a slightly bigger space. We couldn't do the same sorts of events with all these people. We wouldn't know them as well. We've been in different environments together. And I remember some really tense and exciting conversations about that journey. But it was the, the first time in my career where my eyes opened up into, you can still create something remarkable culture just keeps evolving and if you can keep it as fluid and dynamic it's not necessarily good or bad it's just different yeah and that was the moment where I made that shift and I realized we could be just as special because we were designing some very real routines around the concept of how do we create a family and a family unit is about 20 people and it can take care of communications and social structure and everything else and we could have multiple families and the families can all looked after each other. But once I'd made that shift, every time we got to a new benchmark, 50 people, 80 people, 100 people, 200 people, I didn't have that same panic and resistance because I knew 
culture was fluid and we would adapt and find the mechanisms needed to keep what was true to us. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's so true. And this concept of fluidity, um, that was my world. And uh, that was so painful. I mean, you, I mean, you talk mm -hmm. about it. It was very, very painful. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I think this is something that, um, um, you know, while we're talking about this idea of being dynamic, both as a quality, but also as something that manifests itself in our organizations, in our companies, in our communities. Um, you know, in retrospect, we did a few things as, you know, executives in Quedis that were, in retrospect, quite revolutionary. But at the time, they just felt like the obvious thing to do. They didn't feel, they were just, because we were making it up, you know, at least I was making it up. Um, and, and simple stuff like, if you think about it, we had a culture where we changed our roles and responsibilities as the directors group every year. So you never really knew what job you were going to have the following year. Okay. So if you think about it, that's not how the, most of the world, most of our clients, people get hired into a role or a title. And that's what they, you know, that the, the job spec that gets written is basically what they think their job is. Okay, and the reality is always something a little bit different, but, but, it, but it acts as like boundary conditions. So organizations like to do that. Okay? And so if you think about it, a lot of our talent structures that we have inside companies, like inadvertently end up creating the absence of fluidity because we mm. want things to be structured, designed, controlled, and plug and play, right? Like, so we, you know, when you get to large organizations, you do want you do, I mean, the volume of work that needs to be done is so, so large that you can have, you know, individual plug and play people, if you like. And, you know, I, I don't mean that nasty way, but if you've got 20,000 developers, then chances are you've got 200 of them doing the same thing and they're interchangeable. If you've got 10, chances are that they all bring something. What makes them valuable is not what they do the same. It's the extra skills that they have that make them dynamic. And, and, and I, you know, I find this fascinating as, you know, so many of our clients are trying to not just be more dynamic leaders, you know, more fluid leaders, more fabulous leaders, but they're also chasing this kind of, um, this idea of, of, you know, fluid and agile teams. I don't just mean it from a development point of view, but as companies, you know, we need to move faster to the market. We need to move faster to changing customer needs, you know, that kind of language which we hear an awful lot. But, um, but, it, but if, you, if you look at it, most, most innovation, they seem to happen in smaller organizations, which then just end up being bought. We still, the system still ends up outsourcing most innovations to small companies, and they just end up getting sucked up by larger ones who, who could do it themselves, but know they'll never get around to it, so it's easy just to buy the companies. Yeah. And what comes to mind when you say that is how many organizations have the agenda of innovation and agility as one of their top priorities, but they try and put a system around it. And as we touched on in our last conversation, it just doesn't work like that. Because, because, because dynamism is a state of mind, not a state. I mean, if you think about it, every process is going to make you less dynamic. And you've got these leaders who are playing to not win. They're playing it safe. That's right. For the reasons we talked about in episode right. one. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So back to... That's quite depressing, Vicky. But but it, but it, <laughs> but but it, but it does highlight it does highlight why it's so hard to make leadership changes that are beyond just how can I make a ton of money and get have a good reputation and get a good title and get a good salary. 
to and do something positive with it that that pays it forward, right? Because the, the blending those two, um, it's almost like you need lightning to hit twice, um, unless you sort of architect that right through generation, which is kind of, I mm. guess, what we're trying to do. And it becomes even, yeah, it becomes even tougher when you're worried about bills to pay and your self-image and how you're showing up in organizations to think oh. of those those other motivations of doing something impactful in the world. It just feels like it's too much for most people. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's why we know that it will only be the fabulous few who will become fabulous leaders. And that's kind of okay, you know, honestly. You know, we don't need thousands. We just need the right thousand yeah. <laughs> that would be wonderful yeah. okay so it's it's pretty deep as we would expect our d's to be <laughs> deep d's Vips. deep d's i like it <laughs> I, I don't even i don't even want to i don't even want to carry on with this double d comments <laughs> <laughs> we could get into deep, deep trouble we, we 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 might even get banned <laughs> we might <laughs> Well, then we know it's working, my friend. So they'll put like a little E sign next to our podcast for explicit. <laughs> wow. A little bit of innuendo doesn't hurt That's anyway. fine. It's all good. So it gets even more complicated as we think about the career journey. Should we start digging into what does it mean to be dynamic at our different career stages? Yeah, sure. So take us away. Let's think about the superstar performer. What does it look like to be dynamic at that level? When, when yeah. shouldn't we be dynamic? Yeah, so bringing it back to the kind of from, a, from an individual point of view, you know, to be dynamic um, on that journey to superstar performer where you're really mastering your craft and you're kind of you're setting yourself up for, for the next stage of the journey, which, you know, we call the awesome manager journey. Um, you know, being dynamic there, you know what it looks like? It looks like... Like, it's one thing to have good process and guidelines and ways to go about executing on the tasks you have in front of you. But it's another thing to become so dependent on the process that you, that you, that you end up reacting negatively to when your boss changes the scope of your work or changes the deadline on you. you now, I know I said we wanted the report by next Friday, but we need it by Wednesday. Or, or it's... Um, <clears throat> I know when I gave you that feedback, we were trying to make it look, we were trying to make the experience look this way, but now we've just talked to, you know, I've just talked to the CEO and, and she said that we would prefer if we made it look like this. And so you, you, you see this a lot where you have this kind of, why do you keep changing your mind? I, I just need to get the job done and you keep changing your mind. And if you keep changing your mind, I can't get my job done. And, and so you see, you, you see this fluidness as, Oh, I, I recognize that going from point A to point B, you know, I, I would, I so want it to be the most efficient and shortest path from A to B. But when I embrace di being dynamic, I, I expect there to be, you know, three or four sort of veering offs on that straight line. I expect it to be almost like a, oh, I'm going to have to make this acknowledgement for this, this stakeholder over here or for this client over here or for this department over here, or someone's going to change their mind over here. So I, I, I bake that into the way that I think I operate, how I think of my deadlines, okay? I never commit to a deadline if I'm thinking dynamically. I never commit to a deadline that's based on the shortest possible path because 
I'm just going to be upset because something's always going to go wrong. <laughs> and it's also going to end up um, coming across like um, the phrase we hear a lot in the business world is they're very reactive, but they're not proactive. Mm-hmm. They end up just being very responsive to whatever it is that they've been asked to do. You know, you told me this, so I did this. You told me that, so I did that. Um, whereas, you know, being when you recognize that there's fluidity, um, you would orientate and buffer in enough time and energy to actually see those those deviations is actually where the learning is really occurring. Because that's the difference between the ac- academic knowledge that you probably or may have got in college or school or university. Okay. And then you get into the real world and it's like, but why doesn't it work like it did in the books? Well, it doesn't work that way because people don't do what I want them to do and and machines go wrong and things go down and and what have you. So that that's kind of what I mean by how it shows up in the superstar perform. I don't know if you've got, you know, you've probably got some more, more examples from your um, experiences as well. A big one is thinking through the difference between tasks and outcomes. So when you're a superstar performer, you're hungry for approval. You're hungry for getting it right and the perfection. It's something I can talk about from my own experience yeah. <laughs> yeah. and those that I coach. You know, there is this need for for perfection, how to not mis- make mistakes, how to not fail. And so being able to have boundaries around that becomes incredibly helpful. But that also shortens your ability to be dynamic because you want that level of control. Whereas what you should do to be a little bit more proactive is focus on the outcome. Greater understanding of the business pressures, what, what the outcome is, what a success look like. And then work back from that. And if you're yeah. really clear about the success criteria, it's less about the tasks because there's so many ways you can get there. Things will deviate. But I often find the lack of fluidity comes from a lack of clarity about success criteria. And so singular focusing on tasks. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Vicky. I think it goes even further than that because what I see a lot in folks in that superstar performer journey, particularly if they are very bright, and reasonably well paid is they don't actually want to they 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 associate they associate the time spent expanding the breadth and understanding the why as being something that gets in the way of the job they have to do as opposed to the job <laughs> that they are actually serving like they get the 80 20 the wrong way around they get the 80 <laughs> on the they they get the 80 on the this is what i've been asked to do therefore i have to get this done Rather yeah. than is it the right thing? Yeah. Rather than is it the right thing? And and you know the the you know you talked about it through the through the lens of um, outcome versus task. You know a, a more subtle one that I think happens as you go higher up the chain, in the same vein is ask versus need. Mm. Okay, people are very very good at asking for something which is not what they need. Why do you think that right? happens, Phipps? And because we don't have the vocabulary or the confidence, or sometimes we just don't even know, we don't even, we may not even be in tune enough to know what we need. How, how many times have you coached people where you know exactly what they need, but they can't ask for it because they can't mm, see it? All the time, friend. And, and you, know, you know what comes to mind there is, it's, it's that analogy of slowing down to speed up, because we're not taking the time to dig into what's beneath all of that. We can only see the surface level because we're just running too fast. Yeah, yeah. 
happens all the time. And you know what happens more? Uh, we can't, this could happen at all three levels, superstar, awesome, manager, top-notch, is in selling, okay? The best salespeople of any, anything, right? They will sell, they will, they will sell the need, but they will tune their message to the ask, right? Like, so they, they will, they, they, they will sell you what they think you're asking, what, what they hear you asking for. But the way they wow and delight or they create raving fan out of you is giving you something that you needed, but you didn't realize that you asked for. Now, some people think that's disingenuous, right? I like to think of that as showing enlightenment. <laughs> but it happens at the superstar performer level so much, right? Because... Why are you doing that? Because mm -hmm. my boss asked me to. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Right? But yeah, but why are we doing that? I don't know. It's because Tom told me to. Okay. But why? Because the scrum master told me to. Oh, yeah, whatever. Right? I mean, you get, you get, you know, why are you writing this report? Because I was told to get it done. Because the client needs it by 2 p.m. Do they really need it by 2 p.m.? I don't know. That's what they told me. Who told you? You know, you, you, yeah. you yeah. they don't even ask. Right? You, 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 you kind of... My job is to look good in front of my boss. If I look good in front of my boss, they will give me a good review. If they give me a good review, I'll get a pay rise and they'll promote, promote me. And that's, what I, that's what I care about. Do you know where that comes from? Us as children. Because every time we ask our parents why, they say, shut up, I've told you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> It's because I say so. So you become conditioned. <laughs> then when you go into the workforce, you've got these parents around you. It's just better do what they say. Because if you ask why, they're going to tell you to sit down and shut up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, there is, um, I was reading, I can't remember, you know me, I, I never remember. I should write down what I read. <laughs> but I was reading an article that came my way the other day about, you know, you know, I don't know, some, some professor somewhere has done some research that we're our most creative when we're two and a half years old. <laughs> and after oh, that, boy. it's all downhill. So basically, as soon as you start going to nursery or pre-K and kinder, basically, as soon as you start institutionalized education, <laughs> from that point forward, your, your creativity basically drops from that point forward. It's kind, of, it's kind of actually why some of the most creative people tended to be quite um, yeah, disruptive at school. And it's also got a di direct correlation to, to being dynamic. Because cause if, you, cause if, if you feel the need to be safe and play within those constructs, you're going to be less dynamic and less fluid and open. Okay, so let's move on to the, uh, the awesome manager. Yeah, so, so being to me, I think being dynamic really starts showing its face in the awesome manager stage. Because really, you know, that superstar performer level, um, the scope the scope with which you have to be dynamic is relatively narrow because you're, 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 still, you're still building up your craft, you're building up your skills, you're, you're establishing your content power, to use our language, in a space. But that also manager one, I think this is where it really shows up because, because of how hard a transition it is. So I'm going to put out there that, you know, this is a totally educated sort of guest designed to provoke a response. But... From the, from the companies I work with and have worked with for the last 15, 20 years, almost everyone who has a manager or senior manager title is maybe 10% of those actually behave like managers and senior managers. And 80% of them plus will behave like superstar performers just with manager, <laughs> manager and titles. Some, and some babysitting and, and, responsibilities. <laughs> and some babysitting. That's right. That's exactly right. Babysitting only on evenings and weekends. <laughs> Which is why, they, why it's so easy to think like you're over being, being overworked. There's not enough hours in the day, right? 
But but this awesome manager one, it's so important because I, I think what happens in this stage more than anything is you, you're really having, uh, to me, I think it's like a coming of age. It's a quarter life crisis moment. Okay. And what happens is you're having to, you're having to truly rewire what's going to make you successful from this point forward versus everything that's made you successful up to this point. And I don't mean just your first, whatever, three, four, five years of your career. I mean, your studying and schooling and everything else. It, you know, all of that has been, to a certain extent, been building up to get you to a point where you know something and are mature enough for that to create economic value against the economic system that we operate in, at least in the States, in the UK. Okay. And that's some, some, some version of capitalism that we have. Okay. And so, so what happens though, is when you get to that awesome manager level, all of that accumulated skills acquisition starts at some level becoming just a little bit less important. And it's a new set of skills because, because now it's, it's so much more about your, your ability to, you know, to use another sort of, you know, I need to find a better word for this a, a non, uh, you know, a non manager managerial term, but you need to be able to find leverage through other people. You need to be able to get the best out of other people. You have to start thinking about how you construct, you know, a team that delivers all the stuff that you used to think really good about you doing yourself. Yeah. And, and the fact that you're, it's, it's a little bit like, um, I'll take a parental example. So when Jay and I play cards, okay, I have a real hard time letting him win. Right? I, I just don't like it. I don't like it. I, I don't want to lose. And it's not nothing to do with Jay. It's to do with me. I don't want to lose. Right. Um, but if I'm playing cards and I want to get better at cards and if he loses all the time, right, then he's not going to want to play cards, mm, right? No so motivation. Not only is he not going to get better, yeah. right? He, he's also going to be like, I don't play with dad. He's always going to win, right? Um, so you kind of have to kind of engineer failure, right? Like, <laughs> if you think about it, you know, so I have, to, I have to engineer, you know, all right, I know I really shouldn't put the ace down right now, but I'm going to put the ace down right now because, you know, it's, it's like playing with a handicap in golf. Right, you have to like create these games because 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 if there isn't some victory along the way, then it's not going to work. And I feel, I think a similar thing happens at the awesome manager level. Okay, you're playing that different game for certain to a certain extent for your team to win. You have to be less of a winner in the in the actual game itself. Like so, so if I if I want to run a if I want to run a casino. All I care about is overall everyone loses at some level while having while maintaining the illusion that everyone could win. And that's how I make the most money at a casino. Okay. And it, it's a similar analogy. If I'm a manager, I, I'm going to have to lose some personal bat battles in order for my team to grow and, and optimize for everything that we need to deliver. I know it's a kind of spurious analogy, but it's a fun one. And, and I think where, where dynamism comes into it. Uh, or being dynamic comes into it, is you really have to start looking at your team, but your stakeholders, you know, also things you want to achieve in life, they're all moving around. You may or may not be in a relationship that might work, or it might go horribly wrong. Um, you, you know, you may be working for a boss that you really like, next thing you know, they get fired, and you've got someone else, right? Um, you may be you know, you may, you may feel like you've developed a team of four people that are working for you really well and two of them get poached by Google for 50 grand more or 100 grand more or whatever. And next thing you know, um, you're rebuilding it again, right? So 
this this idea you're having to if you can't get comfortable with the idea that the environment I'm in is going to be just fluid and all my you know all my hard work of developing my team or all my hard work of sucking up to this particular boss ended up in tears because they left right you're gonna you're, you're gonna end up playing the wrong game and ultimately you will fail um you know that I, I described a couple of rookie errors there and you know, I see those rookie errors all the time because, because we, get, we get caught up in the, well, if I'm a manager, I want to become a director. To become a director, I have to drive, you know, whatever, X amount of revenue, or I have to be responsible for this department or this sub-department or this process area. And you get so caught up in the machine of that that you forget that actually what makes you successful is your ability to, to operate effectively with all the f noise and fluidity going on around you, right? If you, if you think about it, if you think about it, it's, it's so interesting. Like so many of our clients, where's the, where's the first place they went when COVID and lockdown occurred? If you're a middle manager, right? Where's the first place most of your team went to? They went home. You know, they went home, but I mean, you, in terms of the team members, right? So you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a manager, you've got a team of seven people, okay? What are they going to ask from you? Well, they're going to know, want to know how long it's going on for, what are the practical ergonomics right. for the home so, environment, how do I communicate day to day, like it's through, through right. routine. So they're looking for clarity, clarity, right? So what they're looking for is everything that's static, right? G give, me some, give me some things that don't move, okay? Because if you give me some things that don't move, that will make me feel safe. Yeah. Right? But if you're the manager, right? What are you looking for? You're looking for the same thing from someone above you, right? Yeah? And if you're someone above them, what are they looking for? The same thing from someone above them. So what happens if you're top of the tree? You're going to have to create an illusion. Like, if you, you're going to have to get... Every step is going to require you to be so much more comfortable projecting a level of stability while recognizing that earthquakes are common in California. Yeah. No, that's deep, that's... So, so I, th I think for managers, where, where it really shows up a lot is um, when you take on responsibility for others, your reputation's at stake. You're worried that it's going to reflect badly on you. So it's very easy to not embrace dynamism. Anything that goes wrong is like on you. So you try to over-control, over-micromanage, over-structure. Over and what actually happens is you then slow down the growth of your team. Okay? You, you don't create a high-performance team. And it's all really because you don't feel comfortable embracing the dynamism of the environment because a superstar performer, you were shielded from more of that ambiguity. And that is a very, very hard shift for people to make. There are not many that it's the hardest not one. many that do that easily, Vips. I think it's the I think the awesome manager one is the hardest one and then the fabulous leader one. Well, let's go into the top-notch exec, but before we do that, you know, as you were talking about what we're living through right now and that need for clarity, it's making me think about the difference between a created life and a reported-on life. So reported-on life is when we react to a situation that we may find ourselves in. I'm in a period right now with COVID-19 and it's forced on me. I can no longer go into the office. I can no longer see my teammates. I'm forced to self-isolate and social distancing. 
I either like it or I don't like it, but it's forced on me. Now, a created life is to say, you know what? It's one of the reasons I love living in California, Vips. If I want to go out for a salad and add bacon and chicken and ribs and a burger, <laughs> I can add anything I like to my salad. I can create the ideal salad. So the, the created life is to say, okay, if the external situation is this, how do I create this experience so that I'm going to get out of it the things that I want to get out of it, given the constraints that I may be living in externally that are beyond my control? And it, it brings to mind the distinction between a finite game and an infinite game. There's a great book out there by Simon Sinek, The Infinite Game, mm -hmm. where you've mm -hmm. got... <laughs> In the, in the finite game, you've got really clear players, you know, the rules, there's a defined outcome, and they're winners and losers. Yeah. And in the infinite game, we've got these infinite number of players, unchangeable rules. Um, the game is simply to keep the game in play. And the way it manifests for me in organizations is it's the difference, and we're really tying into now the top-notch exec, of someone who's a really good functional leader and is able to get their department working well versus someone who's able to lead the agenda of the organization, which may be bigger than their department. So they may have to make some short-term decisions that may not be in their selfish interest for their function, but overall is a better decision for the company. Totally agree with you. It's even worse than that, though. Most of them will probably be clueless about the value that the other functional areas bring. I mean, short of a really, really, really high level, how many... I don't know, software engineering VPs, right? Understand the challenges of a CFO. What's interesting you say that. <clears throat> I was lucky enough um, back in 2016 <clears throat> to work in an agile transformation with a leadership team that sat in a leadership pod. And it was very, very uncomfortable for them because they didn't have their offices. But the amount of informal communication that happened was unbelievable. And over a while, the, the leadership changed and things changed in the organization and went back to a more traditional structure. And I was fascinated at the last benefit of being in that structure. And I thought, how powerful would it be if we recruited to the greater good of the organization over your functional area? If we sought out those qualities. I've yet to see anyone recruiting to that. I think what happens, to be fair, though, is I think people do try to, they, they do try to recruit to that. They, but it depends where you're starting from. Like, what I see is a lot of CEOs trying to recruit for that. Yeah? The problem is that the whole system, if you like, the whole machine has been building, building functional executives because, because that's where you have predictable career paths. Like, if you, if you think about it, in order to be that person that you're describing, okay, you would have had to interweave your, like you would have had to take your career into your own hands or something would have had to go wrong. Like you would have to, do, you, would, you would have had to, there would have to be a series of, of situations that are not part of some career path somewhere that made you take on all sorts of accountabilities that weren't what your path tells you you were supposed to take. You see what I mean? Like, so let, let's say you start out in marketing, right? And you start out as someone who's a script writer, and then you become, there's a, there's a, you, go, you go from script to content to, I don't know, creative director or whatever. There's a, there's a path, 
associated with that. In software, we know it a bit better, right? So you start off as maybe a developer, and then you go to, you know, you, the journey towards an architect, if you will, okay? Um, you know, lawyer, you, you might start as a, as, a, as a junior lawyer, work your way up to partner, okay? Th th those, those paths, I mean, many people, if you don't, particularly when you're early on in your career, you want to feel like there's a path for you to be successful, earn loads of money, um, you know, have stability of income. That, like, this kind of stuff is important. So these career paths are really attractive. But if you get, if you get caught in a career path, it's, it's actually quite hard to, to engineer tours of duties in other functional areas because, A, you might not want to, but, B, you know, some functional areas pay less than others, right? Absolutely. Let, let's, say you're in soft, let's say you're in software development right now. We pay software developers a lot of money right now, okay? So for them to go and become really proficient in... Facilities management. Facilities management. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. Pick one. It's not I mean, going to happen. Operations, supply chain, um, marketing, whatever, right? It, it's like, why would I want to do that and take a 20% pay cut or 25% pay cut or more, right? Um, why would I do that? So, Vips, what should, what should top-notch execs do and what should they avoid in order to be dynamic? Yeah, so for, for me, the top-notch executives one is really interesting because I think this is where... You, you know, I think we talked about it last time, but this is where imposter syndrome kicks in big time because now, now you've been, now you've got this big hairy title. You're supposed to be responsible for, you know, something quite large. Um, could be a group of people, could be otherwise. And, and, and what happens is, but you're also now, you know that if you had to actually get your hands dirty and do some of the work that you used to do in this, in the, as a superstar performer, then uh, you're probably out, out of date. Your, your knowledge and skills probably don't translate down to the minutia of action anymore, okay? So, so now, you've got, now you've got all sorts of insecurities that are going to kick in, okay? Now, the ability, therefore, your, your value becomes much more about how you see the organization, the environment, the market. How do you see the dynamism? How do you see the movement in all of that so that you could be making one or two of the right bets, one or two of the right uh, gambles, if you like, so that no matter, you know, no matter how much data you've got telling you about which direction you should be going in as a business, at some point there's a judgment call that has to be made, which aligns some version of what you think the mission and values of an organization is, what the market signals are telling you, and what, what, what things you can actually make decisions or or control as an executive leader. And so what happens there is, what I find is people who tend to be highly dynamic will tend to take much more of an outside-in approach. What's happening in the world? What's happening in the market? What's happening in the industry? And orientate to where that wave is moving. Whereas the less, the people that are, the, 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 the top-notch executives who maybe aren't so dynamic or fluid, We'll spend a lot more time trying to control and optimize process that's internal um, rather than seeing. And so, they, so they, they end up optimizing for internal efficiencies rather than where the market is going, which is not bad. It's just that's unlikely to make you a fabulous leader. That's unlikely to make you a good optimization executive, but it's unlikely to make you a fabulous leader going forward. And to me, dynamism or the... the 
being dynamic is uh, is a core part of that. Also, because when you're an executive, think about it. If you've invested 10, 15 years of your career and you're, you, 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 you're just bubbling under, you're just outside that C-suite, you're just outside of the inner circle, whatever it may look like inside an organization, you, it's like every game, every game, you know, I'm using card game analogy again. Every, every game of poker is a high stakes game now because if you screw up, you've got so much to lose. You've got like, you know, 15 years of accumulated working up to this point. Yeah, it's like screwing up your final exam in university after 20 years of studying, right? It's that kind of thing. So what happens is you pay to lose, you, you play to not lose rather than play to win. People have a more dynamic outlook on, well, everything's always changing all the time anyway, so I just need to orientate appropriately to that. They, you, you tend to find they orientate more towards winning rather than to not losing. And that to me is the big change in the top-notch executive one. The biggest rookie error I see is you, you, you start getting addicted to the purity and the illusion of control. And, um, and yeah, that's at every level. That's as a human being. That's often in their, in their family relationships. That's, uh, you know, this, this is where it starts getting way beyond, you know, a business context because, you, you know, you're your, your life is very much interleaved at this point. So you start seeing, this is kind of why, this is kind of why, you know, um, when we work with executives, um, you know, coaching tends to blur very much into personal lives and, and what someone wants to be and how someone's looking at their, you know, their legacy and their success over time because, because they're in that state of, reflecting on what's really important and can afford to do so um maybe more so than earlier on in your career mm. yeah and i love what you say about control because that's the opposite of fluidity and dynamism and we feel this urgent need to try and control the situation around us not realizing there's very little we have control over so to be the most dynamic and willing to be fluid it's letting go of the illusion that we have any control other than over our choices and reactions and not being attached to an outcome. So I was having this conversation with my sister who has a teenager and he's acting out and she's the worst mom possible and, and all the rest of it. I'm living that pain right chatting. now. I feel her pain. <laughs> I'll have to hook you guys up. And um, I was explaining the difference between control and care and control comes from a fear-based strategy where we're very attached to the outcome because we feel like we need to control it in some way but if you actually think about it there's not much we can control so what if we took the posture of care which is i do the same activities but i'm not attached to whatever in her situation is coming out of his mouth i love him the same i care for him the same but it's not personal he's going through the normal stages of identity formation that teenagers go through and he'll come out the other side at some point we don't know when <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later it could be later uh, it's very humorous to me and my dad that she was the same with my mom but hey that's another story <laughs> Karma patterns of repeating yeah but we talked about the concept of being non-attached to the outcome and she's like oh vicky you have no idea what you're talking about this doesn't apply to kids and i said well they're fairly deep 
concepts that go thousands of generations back. And the next day she sent me an article on the difference between attachment and a non-attachment. And it's literally that, that difference of realizing how little we're in control of and doing everything we can to get a great outcome, but not being attached to how it's going to turn out. And that's non-attachment. And that's powerful. What we don't want is to be detached, which we no longer care. You know, that's a bad place. And because it's very easy, right, to um, to have a to tie tie into any any organization, any company, particularly if you're a founder or a or a senior member. You, you, it's very easy to tie on tie in your sense of self worth to that thing. Same with parents, right? You you, you tie yourself into the self worth of of what your children are going to turn out to. I guess at some level, how they turn out says something about you, right? It's quite selfish, I guess, at some level. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not in your uh, control. So it's, it's so not in your control. And kids are definitely not in your control. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's an interesting concept for us to draw this conversation to a, a close and focus in on a game. So the game is about how do you be more dynamic. So to play our game, what I want you to do is choose three situations in your life where things changed significantly for you. So that's the first step. List out three situations where things changed significantly. Step two, ask yourself, in that situation, was I dynamic? Meaning, was I open to the change? Was I fluid? Was I able to go with the change? Or did I resist it? And then in those situations where you found a level of resistance and you weren't that fluid or dynamic, ask yourself, who would you be if you had have been dynamic and fluid? How would you have felt? And that's the challenge. So, so with that, Phipps, any closing remarks? No, I think, uh, I think this was good. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the next one, which is Seek Discovery. Fabulous people always seek discovery and that's a that's a little teaser for your next time um it's actually been so interesting doing these explorations and uh, you know I, I had someone comment to me about our podcast and it was really interesting because um i'll leave this as a leaving thought um they were really impressed at how we were able to weave in real life stuff with work stuff with professional stuff with self-care stuff through a conversational style. And um, I'm not sure we know how to be anything different, to be honest, Vicky. <laughs> but, but Well, Vips, at its core, it's about being fabulous. Yeah, and, and I think being fabulous is integrated. And I think all of these tools, you know, the, the 4Ds, the non-negotiables, are all designed to help you be more holistically authentic and ultimately that's the essence of being fabulous. And so... Uh, that's a nice way to wrap this up. It's a very pleasant one. It wasn't very controversial today. Um, but maybe next <laughs> week we'll try to be a bit more controversial. I'll, we'll figure out how to annoy someone next week or upset someone next week. There we go. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, have a great week and be fabulous. We'll see you then. Mm -hmm.